Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man We love it Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, October 27th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show, everyone, and uh, we are beginning this show with some unfortunate news. Uh, Woke up this morning to discover that the Arkansas Supreme Court has invalidated the Issue 7 Medical Marijuana Initiative. It is, uh, at this point, off the ballot, will not, be, uh, will not be considered or voted on, even though they've already done early voting out there in Arkansas. Coming up at half past, we've got Ryan Denham joining us again on the show. He was with us yesterday promoting Issue 7. Today, we're going to talk about uh, what's happening now. Uh, how are they reacting to this decision from the Supreme Court, and how are they going to move forward? So that's coming up up at half past. Make sure you join us for that. And uh, a very disturbing part of that story is that the lawsuit that invalidated issue seven, which by the way, of the two issues concerning medical marijuana, issue seven was the one that we liked. It was uh, more friendly to the patients, had more qualifying conditions, and allowed some patients to home grow. This issue six that's still on the ballot uh, has no home grow and far fewer conditions. So the disturbing thing is that the lawsuit was filed by a member of the Normal Legal Committee, a lifetime member named Kara Benka. And uh, so uh, that's really disturbing. And uh, we reached out to Normal for comment on this. And Normal tells me that uh, she has her rights to free speech and she didn't do it in Normal's name. So they're not going to sanction her in any manner whatsoever. So if you'd like to read more about that, you can find my write-up of it on weednews.co. Got some more information plus statements from uh, Ryan and Normal uh, in there as well. Also coming up on the show today in our Cannabis Chronicles at the end of the show, we're going to be speaking with Jay Timms. Uh, he is an African-American man and one of the few minority cannabis owners in the Southern California area. We're going to discuss that issue. How do we get more inclusion of minorities in cannabis and how does cannabis help the minority communities? So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. In this first hour as well, we've got some drug war data mining for you. We've got the latest numbers on who is financing the opposition to marijuana reform in this country. And uh, some of the names will sound familiar to you as well. We've also got a couple of polls to update you on in Florida and California, plus a new survey out of Canada that's of interest to us. Also on the show, we've got our cannabis focus segment where uh, we're going to take a look at trademarks and trademark infringement. It's something that uh, we're having to uh, address now that we're becoming a legal industry. There's a uh, decision that was handed down today that hits hard here in the uh, state of Oregon uh, for a very popular glass artist and glass company. We'll tell you all about that in the cannabis focus. 
But of course, everything starts off with our cannabis radio news. And in the headlines today, again, we'll reiterate that Arkansas Supreme Court decision. We got a terrible story out of my home state of Idaho of a mom who's been busted for treating her epileptic kid with cannabis. We've got a story out of Massachusetts where the campaign for legalization there is complaining about a misleading ad from the opposition. The National Park Service has closed an island off the Southern California coast. We'll tell you why. And a city in Oregon has proposed a marijuana odor uh, ordinance that is raising some eyebrows. Then in hour two, we've got the complete Yes on 64, the Prop 64 teleconference that took place earlier today. We played it live on Cannabis Radio. We'll replay it for you in hour two. The news is next. We're back right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. It's time to Hemp Resent. I am going to titillate your audio orifices with weekly radio rendezvous with some of the premier movers, shakers, and history makers of the cannabis community. Radio resident Hempo sapien Vivian McPeak. I will be putting out a call to action on the issues of the day and putting your interests under the big lights as I provide cannabis commentary and weekly interviews that go straight for the nugular. Marijuana! Hemp Resents, only on Cannabis Radio. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. Get in on the ground floor of the cannabis industry. Join me at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference Saturday, November 19th at the Ashland Hills Hotel and Suites in beautiful Southern Oregon. You'll learn the latest on rules and regulations from Oregon Liquor Control Commission Chair Rob Patridge and our lineup of experts in the Oregon cannabis industry and marijuana law. Plus, I'll be interviewing the legendary Tommy Chong in the closing session, who will also be attending our incredible OMBC VIP after party with a live performance from Dell the Funky Homo Sapiens. Finally, someone let me out of my cave. Get your tickets at OregonMBC.com and hurry because early bird rates won't last long. It's the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference, Saturday, November 19th in Ashland, Oregon. OregonMBC.com It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. 
This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, October 27th, 2016. The Arkansas Supreme Court on Thursday disqualified a medical marijuana proposal from the ballot less than two weeks before the election and with thousands of votes already cast, but voters will still be able to consider a competing plan. In a 5-2 ruling, the court sided with opponents of the proposed initiated act, known as Issue 7, that would have allowed patients with certain medical conditions and a doctor's recommendation to purchase marijuana from dispensaries. The proposal was one of two medical marijuana proposals on the ballot, and justices earlier this month rejected a challenge to the competing measure. The ruling comes after nearly 142,000 people have already cast ballots through early voting, which began Monday in Arkansas for the general election. Issue 7 spokesman Ryan Denham tells Cannabis Radio that they will be directing supporters to vote for Issue 6, the competing initiative considered stricter than Issue 7, saying, quote, I know it's a painful call, but it's the best option for patients. Issue 6 is better than nothing. End quote. An Idaho mother is facing charges of misdemeanor injury to a child for treating her three-year-old daughter's epileptic seizures with cannabis. Kelsey Osborne is distraught after the Idaho Department of Health and Welfare took her children and placed them with her ex-husband. Osborne's daughter, Madison, has had behavioral issues since she was 18 months old, said Osborne. However, earlier this month, Madison started experiencing a seizure, something new to her condition. Worried for her daughter, Osborne made a smoothie infused with marijuana for Madison to drink. 30 minutes later, her seizure subsided. But a doctor's appointment the next day led to tests on Madison that revealed the presence of THC in her system. The doctor called health and welfare, leading to Osborne's loss of custody and the criminal charge. Last year, the state legislature had passed a bill allowing the use of low-THC cannabis oil to treat children's seizures. However, Governor Butch Otter vetoed the CBD oil legislation, the first time that had happened after 16 other states had passed similar bills. Idaho is the only one of 13 western states where such CBD oil is illegal for medical purposes. The marijuana legalization campaign in Massachusetts, Yes on Question 4, today charged that the Safe and Healthy Massachusetts campaign is attributing results to a Washington State AAA study that directly contradict the study's own authors. In a press conference held today at the Statehouse, Question 4 opponents repeatedly stated that the Washington study showed increases in driving fatalities due to marijuana-impaired drivers. However, the study's executive summary includes the following language, quote, Results of this study do not indicate that drivers with detectable THC in their blood at the time of the crash were necessarily impaired by THC or that they were at fault for the crash, end quote. In addition, half of the drivers cited in the study were never tested for any substance. In order to use these drivers in the study, the authors employed a statistical methodology called imputation. However, they were imputing data from years when no marijuana testing was performed on Washington drivers. The National Park Service has closed Santa Rosa Island off the Southern California coast after bundles of marijuana were found there. Officials believe the marijuana discovered Tuesday on the island off Ventura County is linked to a maritime smuggling attempt. The Ventura County Star reports law enforcement officers from several agencies are conducting aerial and ground searches on the island looking for possible suspects. The Park Service said Wednesday that Santa Rosa, part of Channel Islands National Park, will be closed until further notice. The newspaper says the closure could affect more than 70 people booked on an island backpacking trip this weekend. Authorities didn't say how much marijuana was found or who found it. 
City officials say an Oregon city's marijuana odor ordinance is necessary, but some residents say the law is bound to bring trouble. The Pendleton City Council in June passed an ordinance prohibiting unreasonable amounts of marijuana odors from leaving a property and entering another, the East Oregonian reported. Pendleton attorney Will Perkinson, a member of Normal's legal committee, said the ordinance is too vague and doesn't distinguish between medical and recreational marijuana or properly establish the level of odor a marijuana smell would need to reach to be considered harmful. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, October 27th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Himping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Our daughter Rebecca could have a seizure at any given time that could take her life. When you have 200 seizures a day, she gets so scared. I've learned a lot about the benefits of medical marijuana in the treatment of intractable epilepsy in children. We feel her saying to us, Mom, Dad, Help me. Mom, when is this going to stop? Why don't you, my parents who love me, do something? And we can't. Please help us help our daughter. Our daughter Rebecca needs all options for medical marijuana, so please vote yes on Amendment 2. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is... When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're taking a look at the issue of trademark infringement. This is brought to us today by a story I picked up out of Fox News, which reports from Law 360. And the uh, story goes that a uh, U.S. District Court judge in New York has ordered an Oregon glass artist by the name of James Landgraf to repay Starbucks almost $420,000. Yes, four twenty, dollars Almost $420,000 for trademark infringement. Uh, it breaks down to actually $410,800. Uh, $300,000 for the copyright infringement. $99,000 for trademark infringement and $11,580 in attorney's fees. And the trademark that he infringed was that of Starbucks, the Pacific Northwest coffee giant. What he had done is he had made uh, a series of bongs called Dabachinos. 
<laughs> and these Dabachino uh, bongs look incredibly similar to the Starbucks Frappuccinos. Uh, looking at a picture right now, they got, they got the little cur, you know, the little uh, round domed lid like you uh, see on those things, and they're kind of clear. They've got the markings on the side like a, a Frappuccino uh, uh, c- container. It's got the logo on the front that mocks the Starbucks logo. Looks kind of similar. And the uh, judge today decided that was uh, that was too much of an infringement. And uh, Starbucks was arguing that uh, the bong quote willfully intended to create an association with the Starbucks marks and to capitalize upon their success and popularity of the Starbucks marks to sell their products, end quote. And uh, the Dabachino bongs were selling from anywhere to $2,000 to $8,000, depending on uh, the model. And of course, now that they've been banned, those prices will uh, probably go up. The value will go up. And uh, tra- uh, Starbucks said that there was a trademark dilution from this that has, quote, caused and will continue to cause irreparable injury and damage to Starbucks Corporation's business reputation and goodwill. And it turns out that Starbucks didn't have to fight too hard to get this almost $420,000 because Landgraf, the man being sued, failed to show up to court. He sh- did not show up to defend himself and didn't send a lawyer to represent him. So District Judge Otis D. Wright granted Starbucks a default judgment. Uh, we don't know if uh, Landgraf going to court would have helped any uh, because according to the judge's ruling, quote, it is clear from public statements that they intended to create an association with the famous mark. For example, the Dabachino Series 1 bong is advertised as, quote, taking inspiration from one of America's favorite frozen coffee drinks, end quote, and, quote, easily relatable, end quote. Now, these were uh, produced by, they were created by Landgraf. They were uh, sold through Hitman Glass, a very popular uh, glass site uh, on their website. Hitman has removed the bong from their website, uh, but there is still a case against them as well, a separate uh, suit against Hitman Glass that is still pending. This particular lawsuit, uh, the $410,800 damage, uh, do not apply to Hitman at all. They only apply to Landgraf. Now, as you think about this story, uh, one reaction might be that, hey, come on, Starbucks. <laughs> you ain't got enough money. <laughs> I mean, come on now. But this is their trademark and it is their right. And it's something those of us in the cannabis industry, those of us who are part of this cannabis community are going to have to start to recognize as marijuana becomes legal. You can't rip off other people's trademarks. Now, this has been kind of the norm for quite a long time. I can't tell you how many different uh, cannabis events, expos, hemp fests and such that I go to and see trademark infringement rampant throughout all the different vendors. I mean, we're talking Seattle Seahawks logos being misused and repurposed to be about marijuana. Uh, We're talking about uh, knockoffs of every different type of brand you could possibly imagine on all sorts of products, not just bongs. And we've been able to kind of get away with this for a while because marijuana was illegal and everything was underground and, and, Even if Starbucks or any of these companies, McDonald's, whoever, sued, who would they sue necessarily? Uh, The the underground nature of this meant that the artists and the uh, people selling them don't necessarily identify themselves, don't necessarily have 
corporations or big businesses to sue. But now that we're legal, now that we are enjoying this legal status, these businesses become big targets for lawsuits. So don't rip off the trademarks, people. What are you people? On dope? Well, as a matter of fact, Mr. Hand, <laughs> that sound means that it's 20 after, and that puts it at 420 in the mountain time zone. Hey, if you haven't checked it out already, visit weednews.co. I got a great post up there on an 18,863-mile road trip we could take after the election where it would be all legal roadways from coast to coast, north to south. Check it out, weednews.co. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be. The Vuber way. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. Hey, this is Tommy Chong. This is Radon on the other mic. Yes, the eldest. Awesome. And we saw it was called uh, Dying to Know. It's a love story between Ram Dass and Tim Leary. Yeah, the gay Jew and uh, Tim. <laughs> but he wasn't gay when he was a professor. He didn't know. Yeah, that must have been a shock to his wife. <laughs> the one time he, like, met a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> the Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the data mines, we are looking forward to 12 days away. The Marijuana Election Night 2016 coverage begins live here on CannabisRadio.com at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And as we look forward to this election, we are taking a look at the polls and the financing for both the support and opposition of the various measures being voted on on Marijuana Election Night 2016. We've got some new polls just coming in uh, today to tell you about. Uh, in California, the latest public policy poll uh, is come in at 55 to 38 
for the support of Proposition 64. Now, the field poll we reported on yesterday was at 60 to 31, so this represents a slightly lower uh, amount of support, but it's a greater amount of support than the Survey USA poll that came out slightly earlier this month at 51 to 40. So I think we're in good shape as far as California goes, being able to pass legalization. Some of the uh, uh, breakdowns on that include uh, 66% support among Democrats, 56 for independents, and only 40% for Republicans. And this, uh, this also brings up the presidential election, with many people noting that the decline of Donald Trump in the polls may lead to some uh, dispirited Republican voters not showing up. And if that were to happen, it could only bode well for the chances of marijuana legalization throughout the country, since Democrats tend to support it more than Republicans do. As far as the uh, racial breakdowns, Latinos only support uh, Prop 64 at 47 percent. It's like a plurality, 47, 46 uh, whites at 55 percent and other minorities, which would include Asians and African-Americans at 65 percent support. Regionally, the support is greatest for Prop 64 in the San Francisco Bay Area at 66 percent. In the Los Angeles, Orange County areas, it's 55 percent. And in the Inland Empire and Central Valley areas, it's sitting at 51 percent. Another poll that we've recently gotten on legalization comes out of Massachusetts, where a Suffolk University Boston Globe poll is showing 49 to 42 support for question four there. And some other interesting notes from this poll shows that uh, 66% of the voters, two thirds of them, say that marijuana legalization will make no difference in whether or not they would decide to use marijuana. And asked whether or not marijuana is safer than alcohol, 40% believe it is safer, 35% believe it is the same as alcohol. And asked about the gateway effect, does the use of marijuana lead to the use of opioids particularly? The people of Massachusetts reject that idea. 53% say no, it is not a gateway with only 32% saying yes, that it is. And on the medical marijuana side, we've got a new poll coming out of Florida. The FAU College of Business, Florida Atlantic University, comes out with a poll showing 67 to 30 in support for the Amendment 2 in Florida. Of course, Amendment 2 needs 60% to pass. Now, taking a look at some of the donors, we are unearthing some of the campaign finance information here. And the big news out of this is the discovery that Sheldon Adelson, the casino billionaire from Nevada, is responsible for about one-third of all funding for the opposition in all nine states against marijuana reform measures. We'll take a look first at the state of Arizona, where Sheldon Adelson has contributed a half million dollars to go along with discount tires, one million, Insys Therapeutics, half million, the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industries, half million, Joanne and Ernie Garcia's contribution of a quarter million, Empire Southwest at 150000 and a few other donors that include U-Haul giving $10,000. Supporters of Arizona's uh, uh, Prop 205 include the Marijuana Policy Project, which has funded uh, over $1 million of the campaign, with another 150000 coming from Yilo Life, Inc., Arizona Grassroots Dispensary has contributed 135,000 and High Mountain Health has contributed 130,000. 
In California, of course, the biggest donor to Prop 64 is Sean Parker and Affiliates with over $8.5 million. The Fund for Policy Reform is given $4.1 million. And $1.25 million, one and a quarter million dollars has been given each by Drug Policy Action, the Drug Policy Alliance's PAC that primarily gets its money from the estate of Peter Lewis, Henry Van Ameringen, and Daniel Lewis. In opposition to Prop 64, we have Julie Schauer, the uh, Pennsylvania retiree, who's donated over $1.3 million. Kevin Sabet's Smart Approaches to Marijuana Action Committee, the uh, SAM Action Pack, has given almost a half million dollars. And the California Teamsters have donated $25,000 to fight Prop 64. Taking a look now at the state of Maine, the New Approach Pack, again, the, uh, the Peter Lewis-funded uh, uh, pack, has donated about $1.3 million. Marijuana Policy Project, another 300000 Rick Steves, the normal board member and uh, PBS travel celebrity, has donated $100,000. MPP's Foundation, 89000 And Drug Policy Action, 75000 There is virtually no funded opposition in Maine. A group called Maine Matters, Vote No, has donated $8,000, and Mainers Protecting Our Youth and Communities has donated over $1,000. Now, looking to the state of Massachusetts, support there comes from the New Approach Pack at $650,000. Susan Ruiz has donated $150,000. Marijuana Policy Project, a quarter million. Rick Steves, again, with $100,000 for Massachusetts, and Green Partners Management at $20,000. The opponents of Massachusetts Question 4 include Sheldon Adelson again, who's donated a million dollars in the Bay State, Partners Healthcare, $100,000, the alcohol industry all combined, $150,000, and some other donations below $20,000. Taking a look at Nevada, the Marijuana Policy Project and its foundation have combined for almost three quarters of a million dollars worth of donations. ABC ATM has donated $150,000. Law Offices of Brian Paget, $150,000, and New Leaf Capital Investors, $100,000. Primary opponent in Nevada is, again, Sheldon Adelson, who's donated $2 million, the South Point Hotel and Casino, $50,000, Julie Shower again, with $30,000, MGM Resorts International, with $25,000, and the Boyd Gaming Corporation, at $10,000. Now, taking a look at the medical marijuana uh, issues that are out there, and With Arkansas, I'm combining the donations for and against both issues. In the case of Arkansas, the Beavens Family Limited Partnership has donated $449,000, Broadleaf PSG $430,000, and then the rest of the donations, Drug Policy Alliance and Marijuana Policy Project $25,000 each, New Approach PAC $12,500. The opponents of Arkansas medical marijuana include the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation, Governor Asa Hutchinson's PAC, Arkansas Heart Hospital, and Stevens Investment Holdings, which have all donated $20,000, plus the Arkansas Hospital Association donating $10,000. In Florida, the law firm of John Morgan has donated $2.6 million, Barbara Stifel, $245,000, the Florida Democratic Party, $200,000, John Curtin, $50,000, and AltMed LLC, a little less than $35,000. Opponents there include... Sheldon Adelson again, $1.5 million. His friend Mel Sembler has donated a million. The Carol Jenkins Barnett Family Trust, the uh, trust that is part of the Publix grocery chain, $800,000. 
Then taking a look at Montana, the primary supporters are all individuals except Lionheart International, which donated 8,000. People uh, Aaron Bolster and Denise Ziel, Zielli have each donated 10,000. Lenny Brown and Mike Mason each donated 5,000. Primary opponent in Montana is car dealer Stephen Zabawa, who has contributed $125,000 in opposition. The rest of the donations are below $1,500. In North Dakota, the Marijuana Policy Project has contributed $2,600, Anita Morgan, $1,600, Craig Russell, $420, and there is no funded opposition in the state of North Dakota for the medical marijuana uh, measure five. And in other news, having nothing to do with our election, there's a new poll in Canada from Deloitte LLP and the National Post showing Canadian support for marijuana legalization sitting at 40 to 36, with equal numbers, 21% that are strongly yes and strongly no. That's your Drug War Data Mining donor and polling update for Marijuana Election Night 2016. When we return, we'll be speaking with Ryan Denham from Arkansas for Compassionate Care and his take on the disqualification of medical marijuana issue 7. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. I think it was my second year in the league uh, when I had my first injury. That's when I started using painkillers, and, and I was using them daily pretty much the rest of my career. It takes its toll. It's taken too many of those things. Once I retired, I got rid of those. I moved out here to Arizona, got my medical card, and have been using marijuana ever since. Someone like me can afford to be a medical marijuana patient, but others aren't so lucky. Marijuana should be available to all adults who need it. I'm voting yes on Prop 205, and hope you will too. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I opted for convenience to use my personal email account. Okay, maybe you're high too. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Activism begins with ACT. The Russ Belleville Show features the stories of hardworking grassroots activists working for an end to prohibition in today's activist agenda. 
Welcome back. Today in our activist agenda, we're rejoined by the gentleman who joined us yesterday for this segment of the show. Ryan Denham from Arkansans for Compassionate Care is with us. And Ryan, welcome back to the show. Hey, Russ. You know, I uh, wish we could have gotten you back for some better news, but of course, we led with the story today that I picked up this morning when I first woke up, and that is the sad news of the Arkansas Supreme Court invalidating Issue 7. Can you fill our listeners in on some of the details of that? What what exactly happened here? Yeah, so, you know, obviously some, some pretty devastating news for us, um, you know, about nine ten o'clock this morning, uh, we were informed that the Supreme Court of Arkansas um, kicked Issue 7 off the ballot. And it, it's really kind of crazy, and, and for them to, uh, you know, early voting has been going on since Monday. So hundreds of thousands of people have already cast their, their vote for Issue 7 um, and or Issue 6. And um, it's, just, it's just insane that they could come out with a ruling in the middle of, you know, early voting. But, you know, a lot of this uh, hinged on what was a technical versus, versus a clerical error. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different things canvassers had to fill out. Um, every signature that they counted was indeed a valid signature, and, and, and these signers filled out uh, these signatures on the correct form. So, you know, we had the signatures, and, you know, this other side has, has sued us to, to kick us off. Um, and um, the other interesting thing to note, Russ, is that state law actually changed twice while we were getting signatures. So we had a very complicated web to, uh, to, to, to go through. So we actually had three different signature state laws that we had to navigate throughout this process. And that, that also proved to be uh, quite complicated. Now, for people that don't know, the governor of Arkansas is Asa Hutchinson. He was a former DEA administrator. Is there any evidence or concern that he might have had a hand in this or that there's some sort of shenanigans going on to try to uh, get your uh, initiative disqualified? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speculate too far, but, you know, obviously, uh, Asa Hutchinson, former DEA administrator, was uh, completely against our initiative. He's put pressure on, on multiple uh, state agencies to, uh, to, to oppose us. So, you know, I don't want to speculate any further, but, uh, you know, they, they threw everything they had at us. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to continue to, uh, to fight this. Um, our attorney is looking into this right now and seeing what our options are. Um, you know, in the meantime, um, we've made the, the tough, tough decision, I think the smart decision, to tell people to vote yes on, on both initiatives to uh, to ensure um, you know at least something passes. Now, this is uh, troubling to me because, as you mentioned, early voting's been going on since Monday. The reports I've seen have said there's been about 142,000 people that have already voted. And the concern would be that there could be some of them out there who preferred Issue 7 and may have voted for Issue 7 and against Issue 6 who would have voted for Issue 6 if it was the only thing available. Is is that something that might be a concern for you guys and maybe a, a part of a lawsuit? Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I mean, no, we've, we've seen dozens of comments, you know, on social media, people like, well, can I go back and switch my vote to six now? And, you know, obviously you can't do that. And I mean, that's why we were, you know, asking people to vote for both, you know, from the beginning. But um, but but yeah, it's, it, it's really insane that a court could make a ruling, you know, in the middle of early voting. Um, it, it's I, I don't think they should have taken the case to begin with because it was so late in the game to even, you know, try to look at this entire case. So, um, you know, we're, we're having our attorney look at it and see what our options are. But, um, you know, we're trying to stay positive as much as possible and and, you know, tell people to, to go out there and think about the patients, you know, think about, um, you know, person that really needs this medicine. And, you know, it's a difficult decision for a lot of our volunteers that have worked so hard on this campaign and especially to support six for a lot of these people. 
when that's the group that sued us. But um, you know, we're telling people to think critically to, uh, to, 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 to go out and support both and, and think about the patients that, that are, have so much in jeopardy right now. Exactly. It's difficult for people that put so much of their heart and soul into an initiative campaign like this to understand it, but you can't take it personally. You have to look at the bigger picture, and that is what is going to help right. the patients out. Your guys' next shot, if this were, if, if six is to fail, your next shot is probably what, 2020? Yeah, uh, you know, 2018 or 2020. Um, 2020 is probably the, the, the better route to go with being a presidential election. But, you know, it's a long time for patients to wait, obviously. Um, you know, this isn't, as you know, Russ, this isn't just a political campaign. This is a life or death situation for, for many people out there. And um, that's why it's just tragic that this other group would try to come on, um, sue us, you know, run a competing campaign. Because we, we really had the Dream Team campaign. Um, I, I strongly believe that uh, our campaign would have passed no problem if we were the only ones on the ballot. But to have to... Uh, deal with a competing campaign and to uh, you know fight all these uh, opposition groups it was just you know it was a lot to deal with now you mentioned the the suit coming from the competing campaign the uh, the suit itself was filed by Kara Benka a normal legal committee lifetime member there in Arkansas but you you do believe that they were in collusion with the issue 6 campaign well uh, you know i mean the, the the attorney that works for issue 6 said that said that he provided information to to the other uh, campaign so you know, that's, that's, that's the only connection I can actually make right there. Okay. But, um, you know, it's pretty clear that, that they had, you know, a lot to do with it. All right. So what is uh, the campaign's move now? Uh, have you filed a lawsuit? Are you going to file a lawsuit? And, and could really anything be done in time to save Issue 7 for the election? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, we've heard, you know, some people, have, uh, some legal scholars have chimed in and, and told us that they can't, you know, Kick, kick you off while early voting is actually going on, that this should have been decided before this. I don't know if that to be true or not. Unfortunately, our attorney has been tied up in a, in a really important court case in another state today. So he's, uh, you know, he's actually still in court right now, as far as I understand. So he hasn't had a, a significant amount of time to, to look into this for us yet. Um, and, and, you know, we're a grassroots campaign. You know, we, we've, we've existed on, on small donations this entire time. So, you know, we don't have these, these you know, big special interest money to, to run this massive campaign. So we've, we've came really far. Um, but, but, you know, um, the move now is, like I said, you know, uh, get out there, um, continue to vote for both issues. Um, so, so that will ensure no matter what happens, um, something will pass. But, you know, Russ, the unfortunate thing is, you know, this is all over the news. People are saying issue seven is kicked off the ballot. There, there's, you know, signs at the polling locations. So that's certainly going to dip down our support for issue seven right now, even if we do somehow continue to stay on the ballot. Wow. All right. So uh, the other uh, thing I wanted to mention here uh, in researching this this morning, I found comments from the governor, Governor Hutchinson, saying that this is a, a reason why the petitioning rules need to be changed. The deadlines need to be moved farther back or further back so that when there is a problem, we don't run into this overlap. Is that something you uh, agree with or have, have heard about? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I might be open to that. I mean, it, it, it is possible that it might, the deadlines might be too close. Um, we actually turned in quite a bit before our original deadline. Um, so I don't know if that really would have made a difference um, in, in our case. But the other campaigns turned in, you know, at the last minute. Um, but, you know, just a few years ago, they've, they've actually changed the initiative process twice in, in, in response, uh, not really to our campaigns, but other big special interest campaigns that have had problems. So, you know, it's unfortunate. It's, it's an attack on democracy. And, you know, we, we're going to fight to to maintain a strong initiative process. Um, if it needs to be tweaked a little bit, that's possible. But we want to make sure that, that, the, that the bulk of our initiative rights are, are uh, sustained. 
Another related story to this uh, is word from one of the Arkansas legislators that uh, said he plans to file a bill for a more limited, maybe a CBD oil type of medical marijuana uh, through legislation should issue six fail. Uh, Is that a worry for the campaign that it might uh, undercut some of the support for passing something more broad? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was obviously politically motivated. Um, This representative, you know, we don't have a session going on right now, so it's not actually filed as a bill. But, you know, this guy's saying that he's going to file it, you know, next year when the session starts. But, you know, clearly, you know, a last-ditched attempt to uh, try to make some uh, voters on the fence, you know, think that, hey, the legislature can take care of this. So I don't need to vote for either, either, either of these initiatives. So, you know, it, it's sad that, you know, they, they tried to do that at the last minute. Um, this representative, you know, could have introduced a bill, you know, a few years ago or, or could have talked to us about – you know, a stronger medical cannabis bill. And, you know, I, I think this is probably, you know, some pressure from the governor to try to uh, try to sway voters at the last minute. Yeah, we saw a similar uh, uh, experience in Ohio after its legalization failed in 2015 when MPP came back in 2016 with a, a medical uh, a campaign. Their legislature undercut them by passing a terrible medical marijuana law, a very limited one. So uh, we hope that doesn't happen for you in Arkansas, and we wish you the best of luck on getting something passed. We we hope something good happens for seven, but if it's got to be issue six, folks, vote for that. It's better than nothing. Ryan Denham from Arkansans for Compassionate Care. Thank you so much for joining us, and good luck on everything. All right. Thanks so much, Russ. You're welcome. All right. Stay tuned, folks. When we come back, we're going to be speaking to Mr. Jay Timms out of uh, Southern California, an African-American cannabis owner looking to increase minority inclusion and community support from cannabis. I'm Radical Russ, the Russ Belville Show here on Cannabis Radio, live from Portland, Oregon. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chivas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com. <sighs> cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh, my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Adrian, I, I, I finished it. Adrian. Okay, maybe you're high too. 
When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The law office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Twain once said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Cannabis Chronicles. Welcome back, everybody. Today in the Cannabis Chronicles, we're going to be speaking with Mr. Jay Timms from Southern California. Jay, welcome to the show. Russ, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Oh, it's going great. I'm glad to have you here, and I'm really excited about this topic because it's something that's of, of great concern to those of us in the reform community, and that is uh, the developing cannabis businesses and how we can have more inclusion and more uh, support for the communities that have been most impacted by this war on drugs. But before we get to the topic, let's tell folks a little bit about you. You uh, are a licensed medical marijuana caregiver and cultivator, a graduate of University yes. of Houston. Tell folks a little bit about your background in the medical marijuana field. So, well, you know, kind of starting out, uh, you know, I actually started out in the pharmaceutical slash uh, biotech industry. So, and let me take it back a little bit. Before I actually got into the uh, medical marijuana uh, business, I actually was... I'll be honest, I was against it. You know, I, I'm coming from the pharmaceutical industry and looking at it totally different. Um, I was actually at a conference probably about two and a half, three years ago up in Vancouver where uh, a lot of neurologists got together and it was focused on epilepsy and actually using medical marijuana with pediatrics. Uh, great talk. Once I kind of got back home and really started thinking about this, I started doing more research, started learning about the uh, cannabinoid system and things of that nature. And, I mean, I, I saw the light. So I really, you know, uh, took more of a stand in moving more into this type of um, alternative medication instead of dealing with the pharmaceuticals that actually lead to more side effects and things of that nature. Mm. So coming from the pharmaceutical industry, this uh, uh, gives you an interesting perspective because uh, from, from our side of this, we've seen uh, the pharmaceutical industry kind of being in opposition to medical cannabis, in, even to the point now where they're right. making large six-figure donations to try to defeat legalization and medical marijuana initiatives. Uh, do you think there's exactly. going to be a, a time where they come around to this, where they might embrace cannabinoid medicines, or is this too much of a threat to their bottom line? Well, you know, right now it's too much of a threat because they really can't control it. So, but once they actually figure out something where they can have more control, they'll definitely jump in. You, you have a couple of companies actually researching now uh, for certain uh, disease states, but they're, they're a little ways off. All right. And the other thing that uh, people think about uh, in this area, in this subject, happens to do with the opioid crisis that we're facing in a lot of states, uh, yes. many of them uh, yes. having too many overdoses, uh, too much addiction. And recent reports have shown that the DEA has kind of let this happen. They've let the companies, the pharmaceutical giants, uh, manufacture more and more and more of this. Uh, talk about that aspect in pain management and how you feel cannabis might affect that. 
Right. I actually come from uh, pain management. I've dealt with with several uh, opioids back in the day. And, you know, there definitely is a rise when when you're looking at, you know, uh, the habit forming of opioids. Matter of fact, I actually have a couple of friends who uh, have opened up new rehab facilities just specifically for that particular situation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, pharmaceutical companies have done a great job in I hate to use this, this this term, but grieving palms with the FDA to kind of get things through. They know the problem is there. They know it exists. They also know that, you know, medicinal marijuana doesn't have that issue. But once once again, since they're not making money off of it, you know, uh, they, they're going to keep on getting us a pushback. Now, tell folks about what you're doing now in Southern California in the medical marijuana field as far as uh, the cannabis business goes. Right. Okay. So right now, uh, like I said, I'm a cultivator and also um, – licensed uh, uh, caretaker. I have actually uh, developed relationships with a few physicians in the area. Um, they, they're a little different. Um, it, it, it's, it's a great area still, you know. You, you, you have guys who believe, you have guys who don't believe. I do a few hepatologists, um, also endocrinologists out in this area, and I actually uh, take care of some of their patients. Excellent. Now, uh, one of the concerns that we have as the cannabis industry is developing, uh, and, and Michelle Alexander, the author of uh, The New Jim Crow, points this out and says that, you know, for the history of the war on drugs, it were it was uh, minorities, uh, blacks and Latinos that were uh, selling and growing right. and distributing. And now that it's becoming legal, uh, they're kind of being locked out of the industry thanks to licensing requirements that ban felons or, or other requirements. As one of the few licensed African-Americans in this industry in Southern California, what would you like to see happen to try to improve this situation? You know, I, I would like to see more awareness, and that's actually what I'm trying to do is actually spread that awareness. Uh, let them know that there is an opportunity uh, for minorities to actually become owners in this business. Uh, when, when you look at especially African-Americans uh, in, in any industry as a whole, we tend to be at the top of the consumption um, uh, uh, curve, but at the bottom of the ownership curve. And I'm actually trying to switch that. Uh, for example, and you know, we're looking at Colorado, white male population is about 35%, but they make up nearly two-thirds of dispensary license holders. Overall, whites make up a total of about 84% of uh, dispensary ownership out there. And then there's Wanda James, which I, I know you're familiar with her. Rwanda. The only uh, yeah, uh, African-American female dispensary owner out there. Another thing I like to point out also is the fact that you know, there's a study from 01 to about 2010, and it shows that actually blacks and whites probably consume about the same amount of, of marijuana. But at the same time, blacks are actually four times more likely to be arrested. So that's, that's definitely a lopsided um, uh, uh, statistic right there. So once again, I'm trying to really put awareness out there. Uh, so these African-American entrepreneurs are looking for um, different business opportunities within the, the, the marijuana um, industry. As uh, the cities and the states are trying to deal with this issue, there's been uh, some suggestions as to how this could be improved. Uh, one way, of course, would be to remove barriers like the ban on on previous felons getting licenses and so forth. But there's also been some mm-hmm. uh, some offers of some affirmative type of uh, uh, you know positive developments or, or actually helping uh, African Americans and other minorities to get these licenses. Uh, particularly, I'm speaking of Oakland, where the city council is proposing 
proposed a controversial licensing scheme that would favor people that were coming from particular neighborhoods or who had been uh, right. impacted by the drug war. Uh, are, are, do you think those kind of moves, uh, more affirmative action types of licensing schemes could help, or would they be more controversial? You know what? Uh, there are pros and cons to that. I definitely see the positive of it, but then I see the negative coming from the other side. Um, getting with those type of moves, you know, that that definitely would get uh, get African Americans. Let me stop saying that. Let me say my is in general more motivated to actually get into the business legally. Okay. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention as I was looking at your biography, I saw that you got a, a degree in kinesiology from University of Houston, uh, kinesiology study of exercise, physical fitness, and so forth. Uh, and we're also getting more awareness now for athletes, particularly uh, martial arts and, and football, uh, on the use of, mm-hmm. of cannabis to be able to deal with some of the, the pain, the training, and of course, the head trauma right. that's involved there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that uh, that you found in your background uh, with kinesiology and, 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 and the athlete, athletes that you've worked with? So I, I've actually uh, trained a couple of uh, ex-NFL players, and since this has uh, developed, they've actually been indulging a little more, you know, I, and they definitely see the, the results. Uh, the uh, anti-inflammatory properties, uh, the whole pain relief properties, they're, they're, they're seeing the results. So that's another thing. I would like to see more studies done on that. You know, but, but we're seeing positive results. All right. Well, we're speaking with uh, Mr. Jay Timms in Southern California, and uh, we're starting to run up against the back of the hour. So I, I want to make sure that you get a chance to give people any contact information, websites, or other stuff that you'd like them to know uh, about yourself and, uh, and your business. Thanks, Russ. Yeah, I can be reached uh, at, at Mr. Jay Timms. And let me go ahead and spell that out because it might be some of you guys out there smoking right now. <laughs> that's M-R-J-A-Y-T-I-M-M-S. And that's Instagram, Facebook, uh, also my website as well. So, at Mr. J. Excellent. You can always email me, RadicalRuss at gmail.com. If you miss any of that stuff, I'll send you the information you need to know. And uh, last thing, uh, Jay, uh, Proposition 64 is on the ballot, and uh, we're just 12 days away from the election. Yes. Uh, is yes. this something that you're, you're standing for? Are you, are you for Proposition 64? Definitely. Matter of fact, let me give you a quick story. So as I was actually sitting here waiting for your studio to actually call me, uh, Arsenio Hall actually walked past, and this is no joke. Arsenio Hall walked past, I rolled down my window, I said, hey, Prop 64, and he gives me the thumbs up. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely for it. So there are pros and cons with, with, with Prop 64, but I see more pro than con. And the reason being, it's a starting point. You know, we're not going to sit here and say that it's perfect, but it's definitely a starting point. You know, we can look at, you know, um, Obamacare, you know, people going back and forth with that. Once again, that was a starting point as well. It had its glitches. Prop 64 is going to have its glitches. But we need to get to a point where we're moving forward out of that gray area, moving forward to uh, uh, federal legalization. I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Mr. J. Timms, for uh, joining us here on the show. And uh, follow him at Mr. J. T-I-M-M-S, Mr. J. Timms. Thanks, Jay, and uh, we'll talk to you again sometime. Thank you, Russ. I appreciate it. You betcha. Well, folks, that's all the time we got for Hour 1, but stay tuned. Hour 2 is coming up, and this one's a special one because we've got the complete Prop 64 question and answer teleconference that took place earlier today. And uh, I managed to get two or three questions in as well. It features uh, Tamar Todd, Lynn Lyman, and Deborah Small. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for Hour 2. Toker Talk Radio is next. And until next time... 
Take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can tope. I am here. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for Toker Talk Radio. The phone lines are open at 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's 650-534-2565. And it's open topic today, whatever you want to talk about. If you got a question, comment, suggestion, criticism, or complaint... We're here for you. 650-LEGAL-MJ. I'm Radical Russ, live here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, where uh, I, I had the greatest uh, flash of inspiration the other night. I was, I've been dealing with a lot of stress. Let me just point that out, man. I've been dealing with a lot of haterade, a lot of stress, a lot of deadlines. It's getting pretty hectic. And so every now and then I like to just smoke a doob and let my mind wander on something frivolous. <laughs> and so the frivolous thing I was thinking about was uh, what it's going to be like after we legalize five more states and how many other places we'll be able to go visit to enjoy a nice smoke. And as I was ruminating on this idea, I had a realization. And that was, if Arizona and California legalize marijuana, I now have a route that I can drive from Portland, Oregon 
to Denver, Colorado that will not take me through Idaho and Utah. <laughs> I can avoid the prohibition red states. It's, it's a long drive. Got to go all the way down I-5, uh, all the way to like uh, Los Angeles, cut across I-10 to uh, Phoenix. And then you go up this, this little highway that heads to the Four Corners Monument. Do you know what the Four Corners Monument is? This is in uh, uh, Arizona and Nevada and... All right, I've got you, I got you. This one's in Arizona, Nevada, Utah, and Colorado. It's the spot where all four of the states meet and, and make the four corners there. And I figured I could drive up there uh, through Arizona, hit the four corners, and then just jump over the corner and land in Colorado and never have to touch an illegal state. <laughs> so, so there now is a route. And I, I took this and I expanded upon it and actually wrote up a big old blog post on weednews.co where I realized that not only could I get from Portland to Denver as a road trip, but I could also get from Portland to Portland, the other one, the one in Maine, if Canada legalizes. I could go north from Seattle to Vancouver, catch the Trans-Canada Highway, make my way all the way across Canada, and then come on down into Maine. So if you want to see the route, the map that I've drawn up, it's I've got 18,863 miles of road trip drawn up that takes you to 36 different legal cities. <laughs> and uh, only only 0.18% of the time will you be on a roadway where marijuana is illegal because turns out you can't cross the four corners as easily as I thought. There is this little less than a mile strip you got to cross New Mexico on. And then uh, coming down from Maine to Boston, you got to cross that 16 miles of highway uh, through New Hampshire. So <laughs> there is a couple of places where you can get busted, but not much. All right, let's go to our phones. We got a call on the line joining us uh, from the 918 area code. 918, you're on the air with Toker Talk Radio. What's up? Hey, Russ, this is Corey with Illegally Healed. How are you? Oh, Corey, so glad to hear from you. How you doing? Good. I'm sitting here in northwest Arkansas, and as you know, things have blown up today here. Oh, yeah. We just had Ryan Denham on the show in the uh, first hour from Arkansas for Compassionate Care. Uh, what's the feeling down there on the ground? People got to be pretty bummed out. Listen, patients are, are bummed out, and more importantly, voters here, we feel like we were deceived. So when we went to the polls, issue seven was on the ballot, and it was a valid choice. To give you a little idea of what was going on, Issue 5 was a casino uh, initiative, and uh, open voting even started. Everybody knew Issue 5 was not going to be a valid choice. Uh, everyone was informed about that. However, it was on the ballot. Not so much with Issue 7. When we went to the polls, early voting, is Issue 7, is this counting? And we were told, yes, it's, it's counting. And now, now it's not counting. So... There's a lot of a lot of voters that they want their vote back. They want the chance to go and recast their vote uh, because they they voted no on issue six and yes on seven. They want a chance to go back and rectify that as, a, as an actual informed voor. And so we we called the secretary we actually we called the the uh, the polls, uh, the the directors over there, and they they referred us to the Secretary of State who then referred us to the Arkansas Supreme Court. And each person that I talked to at one of these offices, they agreed that uh, that yeah, it's not fair and they didn't have an answer for us. We got the call back tomorrow. Um, so that's the that's the attitude here, but uh, we're still fighting for it. we're We're encouraging everybody to vote yes on issue six. Uh, and still vote yes on issue seven. There is a there's a chance that uh, 
that uh, will will win this in, in court. So we'll see what happens. But that's the that's the latest rest. Wow, that's uh, that's just terrible. I mean, uh, that was the first thing I saw when I woke up this morning, and it was just a, a, a big a big bummer to have to see that. And and to me, it, it reeks of shenanigans. I mean, you got a governor that's the former DEA administrator. You got uh, a lot of people there in in your in power that are anti marijuana. And this is like the worst possible thing. I mean, if they'd at least decided this suit before early voting happened, then like you say, people yeah. would know there's only one shot at it and they'd vote for issue six. Exactly. And, and the most disheartening thing about this whole situation is this was all brought about from our own camp, from the inside, from an advocate, from a, from a, a lifelong normal uh, attorney and uh, and and we we defeated the the governor and the surgeon general and the uh, the Arkansas uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce they they had a lawsuit against us and and we beat that uh, in spades and and we we thought we were going to beat beat this this case the uh, the the judge they appointed to to review the case was was on our side everything was looking good and then this came at the last minute and and for this to come from the inside is is just uh it's it's really a, a stab in the back to to sick and dying patients that have been really advocating for this for for since 2012 and i i've seen it russ i you you know me for a few years now and 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 i've seen what's what's happened here in arkansas and there's been patients out in the, in the hot in the cold going door from door gathering signatures and, and we collected enough signatures i guarantee you that there's enough support here so yeah you're right the the government is scared and, and there may be some shenanigans going on behind the scenes but for this to happen uh internally um between advocates is, is just ridiculous and i think you've covered that in california a bunch too as well oh absolutely and uh you know i've made my feelings known on this normal legal committee uh, attorney uh, making uh, filing this lawsuit as far as i'm concerned that ought to be automatic grounds for dismissal from from the committee yeah. uh, normal does yeah. not agree uh, i've i've been in contact with normal today and their attitude is that uh, lawyers have free speech rights and if they want to oppose something they can i that doesn't wash for me hey well she she can be a she can be a you know, I'm not going to say it, but she can be whatever she wants to be. But hey, uh, we're still fighting for it, and and you know, we're we're encouraging people to go vote yes on six. And so, um, even even though it's uh, it's not the it's not the smarter choice for patients, in, in my my opinion, but uh, um, whatever whatever works, hey, yeah. we need it, you know. Well, I, I want to thank you for calling in and, and uh, giving us your feelings on that, and uh, give folks the website so they can uh, get in touch with you guys if they want to commiserate. <laughs> Absolutely. It's illegallyhealed.com, or you can go to our uh, Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash illegallyhealed. Actually, we just uploaded a video yesterday of the Arkansas Surgeon General on live TV, on a, on a live Facebook broadcast on one of the TV uh, news broadcasts. They were they were doing a debate, and he, he recommended that pay, uh, parents go and purchase cannabis oil online and order it online instead of passing a bill here in Arkansas. So we're, we're hmm. really backwards in, in our fight back down here. Oh, boy. All right. Well, we wish you the best of luck. I hope some sort of relief is possible. Everybody just vote both. Vote on both of them. Vote yes on both of them. And let's see what the courts sort out. Thanks so much for calling in. You're welcome, Russ. One love, buddy. All right. We're going to take a break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk just a little bit about the possible outcome of legalization's success in this election and how that might influence state legislatures that have so far been reticent to address the marijuana issue. 
I'm Radical Russ, live in beautiful legal potland, Oregon. And remember, we got that Yes on Prop 64 teleconference coming up that we recorded earlier today. That'll be after our safety meeting. Stay tuned. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. CannabisRadio.com The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber Vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. St. Paul's doing good work. It's Mike Craig, you're a prune tang. If I can use a medical term. Yes. <laughs> the New England Medical Journal. Oh, my That's God. That's right. Well, you can call me Dr. St. Paul now. Dr. St. Paul. I don't think I will. No. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't even qualify to be a vet. Oh, I'm a special kind of vet. I'll make him less lonely. <laughs> the Stoner Jesus Show. Live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Who's your favorite foreign leader? I guess I'm having an Aleppo moment. I'm having a brain... I'm well, name brain anybody. Brain. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Get in on the ground floor of the cannabis industry. Join me at the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference Saturday, November 19th at the Ashland Hills Hotel and Suites in beautiful Southern Oregon. You'll learn the latest on rules and regulations from Oregon Liquor Control Commission Chair Rob Patridge and our lineup of experts in the Oregon cannabis industry and marijuana law. Plus, I'll be interviewing the legendary Tommy Chong in the closing session, who will also be attending our incredible OMBC VIP after party with a live performance from Dell the Funky Homo Sapiens. Finally, someone let me out of my cage. Get your tickets at OregonMBC.com and hurry because early bird rates won't last long. It's the Oregon Marijuana Business Conference Saturday, November 19th in Ashland, Oregon. OregonMBC.com Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing... I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Almost 15 after the hour. And uh, real quick, before we get into the topic, I wanted to make a, a mention of, <laughs> I, you know, I've been dealing with all this hater aid coming in because, you know, I support legalization. And uh, <laughs> uh, one of the things I get all the time from people, and it's, it's interesting to me, is the accusation that I'm some sort of paid shill. That I'm just 
a puppet on a string being controlled by the elite 1%. Uh, the latest uh, on this, <laughs> and, and you know, I've, I've broken it down a billion times that, look, folks, I'm, I'm a toker. That's it, man. I don't, I don't claim to be anything more or, or less. I, I'm just a guy like you out there smoking weed, working, trying to get by, and would prefer not to go to jail. That's, that's my motivation. You don't have to pay me to support not going to jail. <laughs> I've been there, didn't like it, <laughs> don't want to go back. That's my motivation. It's, it's always been plain and clear. But I did have a new variation on this come in the other day. Uh, a new variation that I'd never had uh, thrown my way, which was a fellow who uh, said basically that I'm supporting all these lousy legalization initiatives because it's in my best interest for legalization to happen so that there's these big business interests that take over the marijuana industry who then need to advertise on media and that's why I'm supporting it because that's where my money's going to come from. Well, okay, uh, I'll cop to that a little because, yes, I would love there to be legalization and there to be legal cannabis businesses. And if they'd like to advertise on my show, great, that would be fantastic. But it doesn't wash because I've been doing this since way before there was cannabis industry. I've been in this for since 2005. I've given lots and lots of my time and effort for very little uh, in return. And I would continue to do so. I would keep going at this level if it were necessary because I believe in freedom. I believe in liberty. I believe that we are good people and, and that the banning, the prohibition, the eradication of cannabis hemp from this continent much less this whole planet, but definitely this country is a crime against nature and a betrayal of our heritage. Cannabis was a very large part of what made America, America. It was part of our trade with, with the, uh, the British, you know, it was part of our, our whole economy. It was what our founding fathers grew and, and would take in taxation. They would, they would tax people and require them to grow this stuff. It was instrumental in our winning of World War II and the Pacific Theater with all our ships that needed hemp rigging. It's, it's a medicine that can help so many people. It's a great relaxant and recreational substance that could take away a lot of what we have to deal with with alcohol in this country. So don't come at me with this paid shill bullshit anymore. I've been poor all my life. I got no problem being poor. I have uh, no car, no home, no big ticket items that I own. I ain't got no snowmobile or truck or ATV or big screen TV or PlayStation or Xbox or any of that crap. <laughs> I'm pretty lean and mean when it comes to this uh, fight. My net worth is probably close to my IQ. <laughs> and you can take that either direction you want to take it, but uh, I am not in this for the bucks, folks. In fact, I was making a ton more money uh, when I was in IT, information technology. Uh, very, very cushy gig, man. Uh, working in a cubicle, typing all day, got yourself your 401k, your platinum-encrusted uh, healthcare coverage, 
got insurance, got uh, expense account, all that kind of stuff. But then a drug test that found I had been smoking pot at some time in the past took that all away from me. Completely and irrevocably altered the path of my life to the direction it is in now. That's what motivates me. That's why I do this every day. That's why I travel over 100,000 air miles this year alone to promote this legalization, not just the places where I can make money at it, like California or Colorado. I'm going to Georgia. I'm going to Texas. I'm going to South Carolina. Often on my own dime, too. So drop the page shill bullshit, will you, people? Not having it anymore. Look, I, you know, I, uh, I inhaled. So did I, Mr. President. All right, coming up next, we've got the Yes on Prop 64 teleconference took place earlier today. Tamar Todd, Lynn Lyman, and Deborah Small will be answering questions and presenting the facts on the Adult Use of Marijuana Act in Colorado. Happy 420, everybody. Thank you, and good morning, everyone. This is Lynn Lyman. I'm the California State Director for the Drug Policy Alliance, and we are very excited to have you all with us this morning to talk about Proposition 64. Um, just before I get started, I want to let you know that the call is being recorded, and if anyone needs a copy uh, afterwards, you can contact Tommy McDonald at T McDonald at drugpolicy.org. So um, let's jump in. We are here to talk about Proposition 64, the California Ballot Initiative to Regulate and Tax Marijuana, also known as the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Um, as uh, most of you know, I am sure four other states, Nevada, Arizona, Massachusetts, and Maine, will also be voting on legalizing marijuana this year. Uh, but, but California's initiative, uh, Proposition 64, is really the, the best drafted, the most responsible, and the most consequential ballot measure uh, for marijuana legalization anywhere in the country this year, um, and, and even internationally. Uh, not, not to mention that one out of six Americans live in California, so it will more than double the number of people uh, worldwide um, living in a jurisdiction that does not uh, have marijuana prohibition. Uh, Prop 64 has assembled the broadest, most diverse coalition ever to come together behind a marijuana initiative. Uh, it includes the California Medical Association, the California Nurses Association, the ACLU, the NAACP, United Farm Workers, the California Democratic Party, uh, of course, Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom, Congress members from both parties, churches, environmental groups, and hundreds of other individuals and organizations across California. Um, we've done a lot with this measure. As, as most of you know, it is a 62-page comprehensive measure, and uh, we took what we learned in Colorado, Washington, and, and other jurisdictions and applied it to California. And if we win, this law, we hope, will become the gold standard for regulating and taxing marijuana responsibly while advancing social and racial justice. Prop 64 eliminates most criminal penalties for marijuana, 
um, stopping tens of thousands of arrests a year. And it's all applicable retroactively. So we are going to jump into the details of this and then be uh, available to answer any questions you may have. So um, I would like to start by introducing our National Director of Legal Affairs and co-author of Proposition 64, Tamar Todd. Uh, Tamar Todd is, is not just um, worked on Proposition 64 here in California, but she has had a hand in drafting every marijuana legalization initiative in the country as well uh, as in Uruguay and helping other countries that are now working on this. So um, without further ado, I will turn this over to our director, uh, National Director of Legal Affairs, Ms. Tamar Todd. Thank you, Lynn, um, and thank you, everyone, for joining this call. Um, so uh, as, as most folks know, Prop 64 um, is designed to legalize and allow for the responsible use of marijuana by adults age 21 and older. It establishes a strict regulatory system to facilitate this transition to the legal market, um, and it comprehensively looks at and addresses both medical and non-medical use of marijuana in the state um, by establishing a system that will uh, provide for regulation and licensing of businesses, will provide for taxation and allocation of revenues, and also will reform the criminal justice penalties and provisions in the California Code as they relate to marijuana. Most simply, um, Prop 64 allows for the uh, possession, transport, purchase, consumption, and sharing of, one, of up to one ounce of marijuana and up to eight grams of marijuana concentrates for adults 21 and older. Um, as many people know who have been following the issue of marijuana in California, a year ago, um, Governor Brown signed into law a series of bills that established California's first statewide regulatory system for medical marijuana in California. This initiative, Prop 64, looks at what the legislature and the governor already did for medical and adopts a similar framework of the same state agencies with similar laws um, to regulate and control the adult use of marijuana. There's a new Bureau of Marijuana Control that's centralized in the Department of Consumer Affairs and the Department of Public Health, Food and Agriculture, um, play supporting roles along with Consumer Affairs under this Bureau to, to regulate both medical and under Prop 64 to regulate adult use as well. There's also important supporting roles um, that are identified and funded and will be paid by the Departments of Fish and Wildlife, Pesticide Regulation, Healthcare Services, and the Water Board. Um, in California. Now, California up till this point and up till the legislature's efforts last year um, and the efforts of Prop 64 um, has had a very, very large uh, marijuana industry in the state um, and marijuana use in the state, but has lacked any sort of regulation or control over marijuana, which has been damaging and dangerous um, to the state in a number of ways. Um, whether you uh, support marijuana or you don't like marijuana, the lack of regulation and control um, is not a good thing. Um, it's been very damaging to the environment in California, um, henceforth Prop 64 con uh, tightly controls and regulates environmental standards and empowers those agencies uh, to protect the environment in addition to giving resources to ameliorate some of the damage that's been caused to the environment. And that's why this marijuana legalization initiative has the support of a number of environmental groups, um, including the California Council of Land Trusts and the California League of Conservation Voters, among others. 
It's also been um, uh, harmful for workers. Um, we have a labor force that's not protected by labor regulation and labor standards, and Prop 64 will put all those um, protections and controls in place for the marijuana industry, um, which is why the initiative has the support of labor groups, including the UFCW. Um, and finally, it's been damaging for public health and bad for children generally because there's no age restrictions, there's no controls, um, and Prop 64 will put in place um, strict uh, testing standards for marijuana that will be consumed, labeling, package restrictions um, are all set forth uh, and required by the initiative, um, additionally to restricting where, where marijuana can be sold to uh, marijuana-only stores where only uh, people 21 and older can enter. Um, it strictly prohibits products that are uh, going to be attractive or appealing to children, advertising that will be targeted at children. It puts all these protections in place that don't currently exist under state law. It also, as I mentioned, um, establishes a system that's going to parallel the regulation put in place by the legislature for medical marijuana, but it's very important um, for for people to understand that Amendment 64, I mean, excuse me, Prop 64, um, does not uh, take away, lessen, or restrict the protections that are provided to medical marijuana patients or their caregivers or their physicians under uh, Prop 215. Um, those are maintained um, and kept in place by Prop 64. There are ways that Prop 64 um, enhances protections for patients. It adds some new privacy protections. Um, when the new Prop 64 excise tax goes into effect, it will exempt patients from the existing state sales tax. Um, it provides uh, stronger protections for parental rights for medical marijuana patients, and it funds some necessary research on medical marijuana um, at UC San Diego, but it in no way diminishes uh, the core protections of Prop 15, 215 that currently exist for patients in the state of California. As, as Lynn mentioned, um, and as I mentioned initially, um, Prop 64 is also fundamentally a criminal justice reform initiative and a sentencing reform initiative. Um, as many folks are now familiar, um, there's been data and documentation of uh, marijuana arrests in California, um, the racial disproportionate disproportionality of those arrests across the board, whether we're talking about the issuance of uh, $100 tickets or the incarceration of people for multiple years for felony offenses, um, despite similar mar uses of mar marijuana use rates in California um, and similar rates of people selling marijuana in California, um, we arrest and cite uh, African Americans and Latinos at higher rates than we do whites. Um, and this initiative seeks to undo some of that harm by lessening the, the criminal penalties for a number of those offenses. It makes some conduct for those 21 and older adults outright legal. Um, it then goes through and uh, reduces the number of felony penalties to misdemeanor penalties, misdemeanor penalties to infractions, and applies those changes retroactively in an effort to undo um, some of the harm and the criminalization of people across the board um, of our prior marijuana policies in the state. And in doing so, saves um, millions of dollars a year in law enforcement resources that are now focused on enforcing those marijuana codes um, that can now go to, to other more important um, endeavors by law enforcement. Um, and then finally, and, and, um, and then I'll pass along, the initiative, as I mentioned, it's 
it's marijuana legalization, but it is also, is also most fundamentally a tax initiative that imposes a new tax and raises significant revenue for the state of California. Uh, the Independent Legislative Analyst Office has estimated up to $1 billion per year raised from the new tax, um, and the funds will be distributed an- annually to a number of different um, uh, specific items. Uh, first and foremost, the the regulations and the agencies are funded, um, so it establishes strict control and regulation and then funds that mandate. Um, it provides $10 million a year distributed to a public university in California for research on the impacts of legalization and this reduced criminalization um, in, and how the law is, is playing out in California. It gives $3 million a year to the California Highway Patrol for at least five years to establish uh, new DUI protocols uh, for marijuana, alcohol, um, and other other um, drugs related to DUI. It gives $2 million, as I mentioned, um, to the UC San Diego uh, Center for Medical Cannabis Research. It gives um, $10 million that eventually grows up to $5 million that will be distributed as community reinvestment for those communities that have been disproportionately harmed and targeted by the war on drugs. Um, and then of the remaining money, 60% goes towards youth drug prevention, education, and treatment. 20% goes to environmental restoration and protection. And 20% goes towards state and local law enforcement and programs um, to protect public health at the local level. Thank you for um, that comprehensive and concise overview, TMR. Uh, next, we'll turn to Nate Bradley. He is the executive director of the California Cannabis Industry Association, um, a former California police officer and speaker for LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. He was also a spokesman for Proposition 19 from 2010. So turning it over to you, Nate. Thank you. Thank you. Um, The California Cannabis Industry Association is extremely happy to join the broad coalition that has been formed to support Props 64. Um, we believe that it is high time to sort of pull the current un- unregulated industry out of the darkness and in, in, into the light so it could, be, it could be regulated like all the other industries in our state. You know, we believe that Prop 64 not only is the best written initiative, but it also has the most small business protections, or sorry, more small business protections than any other initiative that's ever been proposed to legalize uh, to legalize <laughs> cannabis. This bill would would create a, a a micro license, give priority to current licensees, tax and, and there's a, a tax in 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 it. There will be local tax in incentives as well. We also believe that we will create a million new jobs within the uh, first five years. All in all, we look forward to uh, continue to work with the campaign and to work with the state after it passes to make the best rules possible to make sure that the industry is a a professionalized industry that also recognizes the needs of Indian prohibition in other states as well. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Nate. Um, and uh, our last speaker will be Deborah Small. Uh, Deborah Small is the founder and executive director of Break the Chain, Communities of Color and the War on Drugs. 
the first ever U.S.-based organization focused on racial justice and the drug war. Deborah is also a public health fellow at John Hopkins University and one of the fiercest advocates for drug policy uh, I have ever met. Um, Deborah Small, the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Lynn, and thanks for everyone who has um, signed on to listen to this press conference today. I have three major points that I want to make about why Prop 64 is really a revolutionary um, initiative in terms of moving us towards in the direction that we need to go. The first and foremost is that marijuana legalization and regulation really represents a major step in dismantling the failed war on drugs, which, as we know, has disproportionately affected communities of color, especially youth of color. This proposition, when Proposition 64 passes, um, it means that the entire West Coast will now have states that have chosen to move away from a criminalization approach to dealing with drugs towards one that really acknowledges that there should be a public health um, issues specifically with respect to marijuana. And as many of us who've worked on this issue for many years know that contrary to public opinion, marijuana law enforcement really represents the majority of drug law enforcement in the United States. More than half of all arrests for drugs in the U.S. are for marijuana possession. So to the degree that we begin to take that out of the mix, we're going to seriously dismantle and dis reduce the amount of drug law enforcement that takes place in this country and allow us to really begin to redirect our resources away from criminalization towards helping those in need of treatment and leaving other people alone. And many folks have said that the fact that California decriminalized in 2011 was sufficient protection um, for young people. But as a person who spent the first 50 years of my life in New York, I'm in a unique position to say that decrim alone is not enough. New York decriminalized marijuana possession in 1977, and for the first decade or two, it worked out fairly well. Arrests remained relatively low. But when we had a mayor who came into office who decided that he wanted quality of life um, policing to become a priority, Marijuana arrest became a law enforcement priority, and we saw the numbers go from 5,000 a year up to a peak of over 50,000 a year. And 85% of those people arrested were young people, either black or Latino youth, under the age of 25. And while most of those arrests did not result in a prison sentence, all of those arrests resulted in people being shackled, taken to the station, booked, fingerprinted and going through the humiliation of an arrest and having their names and data put into the police um, database that was kept so that they would then always constantly subject to renewed surveillance. And so to me, it's not enough for the state to be criminalized. We actually have to legalize and um, regulate. And as Tamar said, under the new law, young people who were caught with small amounts of marijuana will not face criminal penalties. At most, they'll have to go to counseling and face a potential fine. The second issue to me that's really important has to do with retroactivity. This is the first major marijuana initiative that actually provides relief for people who were previously convicted. And I think it's really important for us to understand that when you have bad policy that negatively affects 
people. It's important to change the policy, but it's also important to make amends to the people who were hurt by it. And I think about the recent decision by the UK to pass a law to expunge the record of all of the people who were convicted of acts of homosexuality under their bad policy. They understood that it wasn't enough to get rid of those laws, but you actually have to make amends to the people who were hurt by them. And so I'm proud that California is about to do that. And then finally um, is the whole issue of the community reinvestment. While we know that individuals are hurt as a result of having a criminal conviction, whole communities are hurt when those communities have been disproportionately targeted for drug law enforcement. And so, again, while it's good to change the policy and to stop making those arrests, it's even better to decide that you actually have to take some of the proceeds of the taxes that you'll reap from this change and reinvest it in those communities who've been disproportionately targeted, who suffered um, as a result of that from lack of investment, from lack of economic development, and all the other harms that come from um, over-policing. And so according to the Legislative Analyst Office, um, communities in California stand to get up to $50 million in grant money that will help them to restore and empower them and to um, help them to repair some of the damage that has been caused by the war on drugs. And included in that is establishing and reinforcing the programs that um, will serve the people who are coming back from prison and coming back from the places that they um, were sent away to as a result of these laws. And so to me, this represents a huge advance, and I like to believe that the saying is true, that the way that California goes is a harbinger for the rest of the country. I believe that this is a very positive direction, particularly in dismantling the drug war, and my hope is that the rest of the nation will get California fever and follow us. <laughs> Thank you so much, Deborah. I hope so as well. Um, so that is the conclusion of our opening statements, and I think we'll open up the floor for, que for questions now. You, you can direct your question to a specific speaker or ask a general question. At this time, we will open the floor for questions. If you would like to ask a question, please press the star key followed by the one key on your phone now. Questions will be taken in the order they are you would like to remove yourself from the questioning queue, please press star 2. And once again, to ask a question, that's star 1. Our first question comes from David Brooks with La Yonada. Hi, thanks so much for doing this. Uh, uh, just a quick question. Uh, I, uh, I'm, a, I'm the U.S. correspondent for La Jornada in Mexico, and uh, the question is, does anybody have a sense of what the international uh, implications and consequences of the California, if the California legalization proposal goes through, um, how, how would you want it to be perceived in places that are also affected by the drug war like Mexico, and what do you think the impact would be? This is Deborah. Can I answer that question? Yes, please. Okay. Well, I mean, I actually think that one of the positive, one of the many positive outcomes of California passing Proposition 54 is that it's going to support and reinforce the efforts of many of our friends and neighbors in Latin America who've been calling on the global community to really re-examine our overall approach to drugs. And I was at the recent UN meeting where some of the loudest voices for reconsidering the failed drug, war on drugs were coming 
from countries like Brazil and Mexico and Uruguay and Chile and others who have disproportionately borne the brunt of the drug war because of their role as source countries for many of the prohibited drugs. And as many of us on the call believe, one of the reasons that the war on drugs has failed is because of the way in which it reinforces criminal cartels, the way in which it empowers them in ways that are destabilizing to communities and in some places to whole countries. And to the degree that marijuana represents such a large part of drug law enforcement internationally, Anything that takes it out of that equation begins to get us to move us in a different direction. And I'll just say this one last thing. I've seen the future of marijuana legalization or marijuana regulation. It, it, was, it lives in the Netherlands, in the city of Amsterdam, where marijuana use is as boring as going to a bar and having a drink of wine. You know, and that is the way in which we need. No, seriously, I think it's really important for us to understand that we've heard all these scare stories for years about what would happen if we ever moved away from prohibition. And yet we have examples around the world, including in the Netherlands, that started doing this with coffee houses almost two decades ago, but more recently with Uruguay and Chile, of the fact that regulation actually works. It works across the board. It allows for things that were in the shadow to come out and to be regulated by government. It generates taxes that can be used to support people. And it also has us to begin to move away from this idea that we should be criminalizing all drug use and that we should actually focus on what actually is a problem, public, a public health problem, pub, problematic drug use, and direct our resources towards treating that as opposed to criminalizing people and locking them up. Thank you. Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, that's star one on your phone now. Our next question comes from Russ Belleville with Cannabis Radio. Thank you for taking my question. Uh, as I'm dealing with the folks in California in the uh, in my world, the uh, marijuana smokers, one of the number one fears that is brought up is that Prop 64 is going to somehow destroy Proposition 215, the medical marijuana uh, laws there in California. Could you address that aspect of Proposition 64, please? Sure. So this is Tamar Todd. Um, as I mentioned, uh, there's a lot of misinformation being put out about Prop 64 and its intersection with Prop 215. Um, as I mentioned in my presentation, nothing in Prop 64 underdo undoes Prop 215 or opens it up for future amendment. Um, it does not touch on or change um, or lessen for the future um, the protections of Prop 215, which, um, as most people know, is actually a fairly short initiative that set out um, protection uh, from prosecution for and, and conviction for patients and their caregivers um, who were using um, patients who were using marijuana as recommended by their physician. Um, there have been changes to how the medical marijuana industry is going to be regulated and controlled, as I mentioned, that went into effect last year um, when the legislature and the governor decided to comprehensively regulate the production and distribution of medical marijuana throughout California. Um, Prop 215 didn't touch on what the medical marijuana industry is going to look like or how that's going to be controlled. It really touched on the core protections for patients and caregivers um, and their physicians from a rest. 
and that remains in place. But it's also important to know that Prop 64 um, does not change or um, further codify in law permanently um, or really touch on the medical marijuana regulatory piece. What it does, it empowers those same agencies and that same bureau that's established to then also regulate adult use in a similar manner, um, but does not undo um, or change uh, what the legislature and the governor did most fundamentally for medical marijuana regulation last year. There are a number of places where the initiative does touch on medical marijuana in patients, but those are areas where the initiative chose to enhance protections for medical marijuana patients. Um, so, for example, some of those are protecting patient privacy in getting uh, the state-issued identification cards, um, exempting patients from the state sales tax once the new excise tax from Prop 64 takes effect, um, protecting parental rights for patients explicitly um, in state statute under state law, and as I mentioned, funding necessary research on medical marijuana. So it does touch on medical marijuana patients in a number of ways to enhance protection and privacy, but it does not do anything um, to undo or lessen uh, the core protections of Prop 215. Thank you, Tamar. Uh, Russ, uh, does that answer the question? Uh, yeah, thank you very much, and uh, we appreciate what you're doing. <laughs> Wonderful. We appreciate you. Um, so at this time, I believe uh, we do not have anybody else waiting to ask a question, so let me just open it back up to um, our speakers and see if any of you want to weigh in on uh, any particular issues. I mean, the only thing that I would add is that, you know, the opposition to Prop 64 is generally resides within the same group of people that have always opposed any effort at significant drug law reform, first and foremost, is law enforcement, which you would think would actually support this because it would give them a chance to focus on more serious crime. But we know that in addition to everything else, the drug war has a significant money-making tool for many aspects of law enforcement, one in which that, you know, they've been reluctant to see go away. And I think that that's important. The other group of people who tend to um, object or oppose any change are those who claim that it potentially will harm young people, youth. And as uh, African-American, I have to say that I object to us continuing to have this maintain this argument that um, having marijuana prohibition protects young people. It neither protects them from having access to marijuana, nor does it protect them from drug, from law enforcement. And in many cases, as I've seen, it actually sacrifices a significant number of youth of color to maintain the illusion that we're protecting other people's youth. And personally, I object to that as both a mother and a grandmother and a person who's seen way too many young people's lives, you know, be ruined by the Head Start for prison that's represented by marijuana law enforcement. So I'm really happy that we have the opportunity to really change this. And I think it's one of the reasons why the NAACP and so many other civil rights and racial justice organizations have come out in support of this change. And um, I hope that that's something that you'll report on. Thank you. Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, that's star one on your phone now. 
We have a question from Russ Belleville with Cannabis Radio. Thank you. This question for Deborah Small. Uh, Deborah, the critics of legalization uh, tried to diminish the racial justice aspect of it by pointing to Colorado and Washington, where even after legalization, there still remains a great racial disparity in the arrests for what crimes still remain. Could you address that from a, the racial justice angle for us? Well, I think that's one of the ways in which the California initiative represents a much better um, written one than Colorado or Washington State, in that one of the things that we've seen that has been a, dis- a disparity has been between adults and young people. And what happened in both of those states is that you saw a reduction in arrest of adults, but a disproportionate increase in the number of young people who were being arrested because they weren't protected by the law. And while the um, Prop 64 does not allow people under age 21 to have legal access to marijuana, it does say that if they are caught with marijuana, they're not going to face criminal penalties. And I think that that's really important. Right now, under the, under the new law, if passed, it would be very, there were very small circumstances under which a person would actually be facing a marijuana felony, either because they were selling to someone underage or because they were in selling non-registered or non-licensed marijuana. But the fact that we're moving into a regulatory scheme, I think, is going to go a long way towards um, reducing those racial disparities. And quite frankly, I also think that a lot of it will be dependent on whether or not local cities and local counties are committed to the implementation of the initiative and the spirit of the initiative, which is to move us away from a law enforcement approach to marijuana to a more public health approach. That's the intent. That would be the clear intent of the voters by voting for these initiatives. And it would be up to us in the um, justice community to make sure that the spirit of that is carried out moving forward. Absolutely. And and this is Lynn, and I just want to add to that and say that um, marijuana legalization is is not going to end racism, and we don't purport that it will. Um, What it does is reduce the opportunity for contact uh, between police and communities of color. And so we did see in those states that while the disparity remains the same, the numbers drop drastically. So we expect that to, to happen in California as well. Um, but we don't expect that disparity to change because it, it doesn't. Racism, uh, institutional racism in policing is something that is very consistent in California and across the country. Once again, if you'd like to ask a question, that's star one on your phone now. We have another question from Russ Belleville with Cannabis Radio. I, I'm just full of questions today. Uh, this is for uh, Tamar or uh, uh, Lynn. Uh, there's been some concern among the uh, people I deal with in the community about the ability of localities uh, to uh, make their regulations with respect to uh, cultivation, uh, with respect to taxation. And uh, there's a concern that some of these localities will, in essence, have their own sort of prohibition by setting the tax rates so high or by setting the regulations so strict that it would make it impossible for people to actually be able to grow their own cannabis. Uh, Any thoughts on that? 
Sure. So this is Tamar. Um, you know, the, the initiative does, and I will say it has a strong element of local control um, and a strong role for local governments to play. Um, that's true also in the medical marijuana regulatory system that um, was established by the legislature and the governor last year. And it's also true of just the history of medical marijuana in California that has um, up till this point been, if it's regulated at all, it's regulated entirely on the local level. Um, and the case law has interpreted strong local control, including the power of localities to completely prohibit any patient cultivation um, under Prop 215 under local laws. And that's the state of the existing law in California. Um, so Prop 64 does preserve a strong um, an independent role for local governments um, in allowing them, you know, control over zoning, um, deciding whether to even have businesses within their jurisdictions or not, um, and, and how those businesses will um, be regulated. The area where there's less, um, you know, strong government control is on the criminal uh, penalty revisions that are contained in Prop 64. So the, it legalizes a, um, activity under state law, it reduces penalty under state law, and those penalties will be reduced, and that conduct for adults age 21 and older will be legal um, throughout the state. Um, it's one of the areas, actually, because Prop 64 does allow a very limited amount of home cultivation um, within some parameters um, of uh, you know, protect not within public view, um, in a protected environment, a secure space, allows limited cultivation by adults 21 and older. And that, of course, will also apply to patients um, who may now live in a jurisdiction that completely disallows any patient cultivation, which is true of large areas of the state. With that, though, um, is the ability, Prop 64 allows the ability of localities to regulate that cultivation, um, you know, to control it, to zone it, um, to make uh, regulations and rules so that it's not going to negatively impact neighbors, um, so that it's going to be safe and so it's going to be controlled. Um, but it's very specific under Prop 64 that any locality that does so um, has to do so in a way that's reasonable. So the regulations have to be reasonably adjusted to accomplish those public safety goals. Um, and so there is some limit there on what they can do um, that has to be reasonable, but then also has the flexibility for localities to regulate as they see fit um, and protect the community as they see fit. Okay. Uh, I, just to drill down a little bit on that, uh, the concern I get is uh, people are being told that they will have this right to c cultivate six plants indoors that cannot be banned, but could it sounds as if a, a locality could make a regulation that says uh, the, the cultivation is limited to zoning uh, more than a thousand feet away from a school, for example, and then anyone who lives within that thousand feet, yeah. they wouldn't be able to cultivate. Is, is that possible? Well, no, I mean, so the initiative language does specifically um, place limits on the locality's ability to ban um, cultivation indoors, to completely ban it. But it also explicitly allows them to reasonably regulate it. So where it's not going to be allowed is at the point where that regulation does effectively become a ban. So the fear that people have that regulations will effectively be used as a proxy to ban is not allowed, but there will have to be a judgment there as to what point a regulation is no longer reasonable um, and effectively becomes a ban. Okay, thank you. At this time, time, I'm questions. Questions. Go ahead. At this time, I'm showing there are no further questions. 
Okay, so if there are no further questions, I just want to thank everybody for joining and remind you that um, the recording is available, and you can reach that through uh, Tommy McDonald here at the Drug Policy Alliance. Thanks, everybody, so much for your time this morning and uh, for joining our call. That was the uh, Yes on Prop 64 press conference, teleconference that took place earlier today. And now uh, in some breaking news that I just uh, attended to during that conference, there's been a press conference by Kevin Sabet and the No on Prop 64 campaign joined by medical marijuana patients and the Weed for Warriors group. Uh, you can find more details on my Twitter feed at Radical Russ, and you can damn well bet we're going to be ranting about this tomorrow. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a scene, you manage, you grow it, you're 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 it, you